1: how that's nice and brown oh yeah like
0: that. that that's my favorite part that brown part
1: so now you want to form that crust and now you add just a tiny bit of water and this steam makes it nice and soft on the top and oh. and on the inside and you add that
2: oh yeah i hear it i hear the sizzling yes. Everyone's got.
0: And welcome to today's episode of Fanatics. Woohoo! Woo! I'm Claire Kramer, of course, and I'm sitting here with my co-host, Jake Maron. Hey, Jake. Oh, hey, Claire. I
2: am excited about today's guest. Let me tell you. Are
0: you? Why are you excited, Jake?
2: Okay, so first and foremost, the topic today, gyoza, amazing. But I'm really excited because we have a mutual friend that we might talk about on the episode, and it makes sense considering they're both amazing cooks and amazing actors. And, of course, Louie, I love him. I, I've known him as far back as when he was a brutal killer in the movie Predators, which was awesome. But he's also in Hunters. He's in The Man in High Castle. And of course, he's in Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan right now. So he's got a lot going on, but he's still making time to talk about Kyoza with us.
0: <laughs> and of course, you're talking about Louis Ozawa. Of course. He's like such an iconic actor. I mean, I love him. I'm a big Jack Ryan fan, so mm-hmm. I've been watching that. But I feel like he's like completely, I I don't know. He's one of those guys that I could see like just leading his own film franchise. He's so talented. And now that we've had the chance to talk with him, he's such a nice guy. You guys have mutual friends, right?
2: Yeah, it's clear to me that like Louis, as much of a bad A as he is on screen, he can be super chill off screen. And hearing him talk about his love and his connection today, I don't want to spoil anything, but... As a fan of his work, I was excited to get to know him, and hearing him talk about Gyoza and and all these other things that we dive into the episode, I left just being even more excited that I got to have the experience with this person.
0: Yes, and isn't it true? I mean, they always say the nicest people play like the baddest, meanest characters. (laughs) Right?
2: And in in this case, it's 100% true. So get ready, fanatics, because we're about to talk Gyoza with the one and only, Louis Azawa.
0: So, Louis, what is the feeling inside of you when you make gyoza?
1: feels like home. I've been making it since I was a little kid. I would help my mom wrap them initially. And then as I got older, you know, I I went away to college and I was homesick and I could not eat the gross cafeteria food. So... I had to learn how to cook and I'd be calling my mom long distance and trying to write down the recipe. I love that. And it was weird because a lot of this is like just instinctive, you know, there's no recipe. So via trial and error, I started to get good at it. And I became like this party trick for me. It was this great thing to do. And and now now that I have kids, I make it with my kids. When I go on the road sometimes uh, for long periods of time, I make them for my castmates and friends and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So it's become like a bit of home for me. Yeah.
0: That is amazing. That is amazing. I love it. And if you haven't picked up, we are talking about homestyle Japanese cooking, specifically gyoza today on Fanatics. And for anyone, Louis, who doesn't maybe have a definition in their mind, how would you describe Homestyle Japanese cooking. And then can you please describe gyoza for us?
1: Well, the foundation of Homestyle Japanese cooking is miso soup, obviously. It sounds very simple, but like the way my mom makes it, the way everyone has is a very specific way. And like in Japan, by region, you have different broths that kind of flavor the miso. But for me, it's bonito broth and miso is pretty much like the foundation of a good miso soup. That's the foundation. Some rice, grilled fish, pickles, vegetables, tofu. Very simple food, it sounds, but the ingredients are really important and that makes all the difference. But within that genre, you also have gyoza, you have curry rice, you have uh, tempura, you have tonkatsu, ramen, soba, udon, all sorts of things that you probably have already tried before. And the thing that's like kind of most like automatic for me the thing that my kids love my wife loves is gyoza i'm half japanese half taiwanese so gyoza is actually came to japan from china and in china it's known as jiaozi, and then uh mandu in korea and then in turkey it's called Mante. And so it's like a dumpling, basically, a like pierogi. Yeah. Every, every culture's mm-hmm. got it. You every know? culture. It's yeah, like the yeah. ultimate yeah, food. Girl. You've got your carb, you have your meat, you got your veggies all in one. And so I will make like 50 of these and my kids will slam through
0: them. Oh, my gosh. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. I would slam through them, too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Fair enough.
0: And Gyoza, tell us how you
2: make it. Like, is it fried? Is it... Steamed, like just, just describe the dish a little bit for us, Louie.
1: You know, it's it's a home style dish. It's kind of like pesto in Italian cuisine. It's whatever's in season, whatever you have in your fridge. So today I have green onions, always scallions. I I like to always put scallions in. I like to put in this is watercress, just because that's what I try to sneak in veggies into my kids' food.
0: Uh-huh. Smart. Ginger. Mm. I like to
1: put in a lot of ginger because it's good for you. Yeah. So a lot of your store bought gyoza, like frozen gyoza or stuff you get at the Damen place is like 70, 80% filler and then just a tiny bit of meat. But I like to do like 50, 50 kind of in volume veggies to meats and a ton of ginger. I don't over season it or, and I don't put like tofu, but these are all good things. Like in, in Korean mandu, sometimes you put kimchi in there, Mm -hmm. your probiotics and stuff, but I like to keep it like fresh and simple, you know, and we usually just pretty much eat this rice and maybe soup or something. Mm. Oh, that
2: sounds so good. So I
1: start by chopping the, uh, Chopping the scallions. Is that super loud? No,
0: it's good. And is that a way to get out your aggression, that chopping? (laughs) Chopping (laughs) is an art in its own. I see
1: more of a Zen thing, you know, like as actors, I don't know, we're always on the go and I don't play music. I don't watch anything while I do. I just kind of zone out, Zen out and I I, uh, prepare this food. You know, all my worries kind of go away for a little
0: bit. I love that.
1: So you take these veggies that have already been chopped. It's pretty simple. You just add the watercress, green onions. My mouth is watering. So this is tamari, mm-hmm. which is gluten-free for all you gluten-free folks out there. <laughs> for all you celiacs. Or if you like soy sauce is fine or coconut aminos, whatever you like. And then this, used sparingly, this is sesame oil. Mm. But that gives it that extra yes. flavor.
0: That little kick.
1: And then I take... You can use chopsticks. Fork kind of generally works best to kind of mix everything in, but you can use a spoon.
0: Originally were chopsticks used for this mixing part?
1: I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Or, or you know, you can also use your hands. Right. Yeah. That's probably the easiest way to mix everything.
0: That's how I do meatballs. <laughs> My hands. <laughs> <laughs> totally. There's something satisfying about, like, putting all those ingredients in take you back to your childhood a little bit with play that you know sensation of mashing together
1: it's totally a therapeutic like
2: visceral kind of primal
0: mm-hmm. thing you
2: know like even the way you're talking about it louie is making me calm like i just love everything about cooking this dish
1: so apparently this dish kind of started in central asia i imagine because like you know on the silk road huh it traveled well, like they would either dry the ingredients or freeze them. And then you could pretty much fry them up or steam them wherever you go, you know, um, when you're on the road. It's like a great road food. And so that made its way all the way to Japan eventually, you know, but we're talking like 1,200, 1,300. We're talking a long time
0: ago. (laughs) A long time ago. Let me ask you this. Is cooking a way that you express your love for people and for situations
1: you know, yeah yeah I, I i just listened to jimmy o Yang's uh new special comedy special and yeah he was like asians show love by food you know and it's not just asians <laughs> but a lot of cultures right and so my parents live in japan now and i don't get to see them very often and so whenever i start you know mixing this i start going down memory lane a little bit, you know, uh, start thinking about, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it reminds me of where I came from. It's funny, my kids now help me out and they wrap the wrappers and they do their own little custom designs, which is like a new flair. Ooh. You know, I was very much wanting to do everything perfectly and my kids are like, we'll make custom designs. Check out my airplane goes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> How young were you when you started to cook you know, Japanese homestyle food. I was probably like
1: five or six years old. Yeah. Oh wow! I wasn't doing this part. I was probably just rapping, and and I'll get to that part right now. Actually, just to save a little mm-hmm. time, and then I'll do about twenty, and then we'll we can we can fry them up. Ooh, I like.
0: that. Oh yeah.
1: It's funny. I I was in Budapest shooting this season of Jack Ryan, and you know I was feeling a little homesick. I stay at this place called the Brody house, which is kind of a boutique hotel, but has their own kitchen. I can't stay in hotels if I'm, if I'm on the road for longer than two weeks. The show Pachinko that I'm in also was about to drop. And I wanted some of my friends in town to see this. So I made a gyoza night and I got cast members from like The Last Kingdom, The Continental, Jack Ryan, and Shadow and Bone. They all came to my apartment. Oh, that is so awesome. <laughs> we all ate gyoza and watched the first like two episodes of Pachinko. It was, it was really cool. It was a really nice moment like I was just getting to know my Jack Ryan castmates and Abby Cornish who likes to cook. She came over and started help- helping me and learning about how to make this. And so, yeah, it's a way of bonding, I guess with with people.
0: Absolutely. And we talk about, you know, the the history of food and the fact that providing someone nourishment is a very personal act, you know, especially when your hands are on this dish from the very beginning, as would be in the 13th and 14th century, like you probably literally... Harvest the vegetables yourself and bring the meat to uh, the table yourself. So it's very personal in a way.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, in the old days, people would spend hours wrapping their own skins. Mm-hmm. But uh-huh. like, as you can see, there's so many. And I have two kids, and <laughs> who has the time now? Yeah. So my wife is Korean American. My kids are Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. So I'm using Korean skins. Okay. It's in pretty much just. Flour and water, that's it.
0: Did they break easily or no? They're no, they're, they're pretty, pretty resilient.
1: resilient. Okay. You give it a little stretch like this. Take some water, put it around the rim. That's kind of like the glue, essentially, that sticks it together. Uh-huh. And here, this is where I'll switch to a spoon. You know, for everyone that's listening out there, there's really no way to mess this up. It's really quite simple and easy. So it's an ingenious thing. If you're frying them, as you fry the outside, the outside gets nice and crispy. And then the inside is steamed. The veggies like provide kind of the moisture, and the inside gets steamed. So when the outside is fried, then the inside is nice and tender. And see that you put Mm. those nice little pleats in there. I'm not sure what the purpose of these pleats are, but that's just the way I learned. And
0: it's like the edge of a pie crust, yeah. the same yeah, thing. Yeah, like totally. Little, the little pinching.
2: Yeah, it's totally a pie Maybe crust. Maybe
0: it's to keep it together with the water, exactly. you know, the skin. I like it.
2: You talk about how you learned, Louie. I, I guess I want to know a little bit more about your first few times making this dish and, and how you eventually became, you know, somebody who, who passed this on to his kids. Well, a lot of trials.
1: <laughs> I lived in a vegetarian co-op at, in college. Okay. I went to UC Davis, and I remember one of my buddies after freshman year was like, hey, man, we were both strapped for cash, and the cheapest place to live was this vegetarian hippie co-op. <laughs> I was like literally $200 all-inclusive, including food. Wow. Oh
0: wow. That's awesome.
1: I mean, I can't even start to begin to tell you how dirty, if you can just imagine. You <laughs> I <know>. can. <laughs> but it, it was right on campus. So, you know, other kids had to get apartments off campus. We were on campus, $200 a month. That's like full, like there was nothing else, no utilities, just $200.
0: That is crazy. You
1: did have to cook vegetarian. So I had to learn. And part of the kind of hazing initiation process or the way they would accept you, this guy was like, we totally game the system. We're not vegetarians by any means. He was like, listen, all you have to do is cook a really good meal for them. And that really helps your chances. And so I called my mom, I was like, Mom, how do I make gyoza? You got to teach me. And so (laughs) I'm sure it was terrible the first time I made it. But after like the first 20 times, I probably had to call and, and, you know, use a recipe the first 20 times I made this. But you know, once I got into the co-op, you're cooking once a week for like 10 to 15 people. Like, You get pretty good at it and pretty quick at it. I'm not even looking at it
0: Yeah, Yeah,
2: it's
1: impressive. It It just comes automatic, right? Yeah.
0: We talked a little bit about like originally using a recipe, but you really get a feel for the amounts that you need of each ingredient and you can kind of just wing it, right? Yes.
1: Because it's pork, it's not the kind of thing where you can keep tasting. You know, the only thing is like how much seasoning do you put in, Mm -hmm. right? And with gyoza, if you've ever had gyoza, you can always make a sauce with soy sauce and vinegar, rice vinegar. So it's better to be conservative at at first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's really the only place you can mess up. Even if it was 100% meat, it would still be good. Even if it was like totally 80% veggies, it'd still be good. I've made this vegan with just tofu. You know, you've got to really squeeze out the moisture because then it gets kind of watery. But when you, when you do vegan, you definitely have to add a little more seasoning.
0: Have you ever attempted uh, with your family or by yourself to make the skins? Are you, where are
1: you guys located?
0: Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles.
1: So have you ever been to Din Tai Fong? No. So if you go to any of these dumpling houses, you'll see there's like 20 people making these skins and wrapping. Yes. It's a whole like factory line kind of vibe. And- I think eventually when my kids are older, we can do this, but it just takes too long, you know, to just kind of roll yeah. them out individually. I try to find the ones with no preservatives or as little preservatives. Sometimes you'll look in and you want to find the ones that have like three or four ingredients, right? Like water, flour. This has cornstarch, salt. That's it.
0: That's it. Wow. Yeah. Mm.
2: Louis, let me ask you, you know, I love Japanese curry myself, so why goza, of all the different types of foods you could have picked, why is that number one?
1: Oh, it's just something that I feel like I can make without thinking about. It. Mm-hmm. It's something that I always love to eat. Um, I love eating them in restaurants. I've gone to some of the top goza places in Tokyo. I love trying new ones out. Uh, I just geek out about it. That's funny you mentioned curry. So... The Japanese curry that you get in the bricks, do you make it at home?
2: You know, actually uh, a really good buddy of mine makes Japanese curry and uses fish, we use chicken, we use whatever, and it's just next level. So I just love the green curry specifically.
1: So do you make the roux yourself or do you buy the brick? Oh, no,
2: no, no, no. I mean, he makes the roux himself.
1: Wow, wow, that's dope, yeah. that's dope. Cause like, when I was a kid, you know, there was the kind of curry bricks that you would buy. And they were loaded with MSG and all sorts of stuff. And they were super sweet. Like the the Japanese curry, as you know, has like apple and honey and lots of onions. Uh-huh. It's more like
0: mm-hmm.
1: Western stew and curry like put together. But now nowadays, like in Japan, people are super experimental and wanting to get more into like uh, original Indian curries. And they're like starting to add more there building their own kind of flavor profiles at home. You know, still within that Mm -hmm. like Japanese palette, but yeah, like adding more.
0: Sort of what happened with tamales and like the tamale changing from just like a side thing to now people have these massive tamale parties where they stuff them with chocolate or, you know, diced apples or very untraditional things. So it sounds like it's evolving in that same sort of trajectory. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I've had gyoza, for instance, that has had cheese in it, mm. little cubes of cheese, and you fry it and it melts right oh, in there. Oh, wow. Or or mm. garlic ones, pretty much like a mm-hmm. whole clove of garlic <laughs> in there. It's so nutty and delicious, terrible for your breath.
0: But so good.
1: <laughs> There's this one spot in Tokyo, I was so young at the time, I had no idea. I I remember my mom and I, we took like a 45 minute train ride right out of the city and we showed up at this spot and you know this is before like the whole foodie culture in america had taken off you know japanese people are like you do everything to the max this spot had blown up and there was a line around the block and we go and it's this rundown, like two floor uh, apartment right mm-hmm. and so you'd walk in and you'd have to climb up these rickety stairs to go to the second floor eating area and the floor is like all buckled over and everything. That's how devoted we were to gyoza. But uh, that was probably the most delicious gyoza I've ever had. They were so tiny. It was like one bite. And that's the difference, I think, between like Korean and Chinese girls and Japanese girls that tend to be smaller, like one bite kind of things, you know? Uh huh. Maybe maybe Japanese people are smaller. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure how that happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Evolution. Evolution. Yeah, evolution. (laughs) Um, You said you originally made these with your mom and grandma. Is that right?
1: My mom primarily. Okay. My grandparents lived in Asia. So it was mainly about like passing along culture, you know? I grew up in. New York City, back in the day, it was everything had to be made from scratch because mm-hmm. they just didn't have the Asian markets and stuff at that time. Because I'm old, you know. <laughs> now they're everywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what was it like when you first wanted to pass that, you know, the tradition of gyoza making on to your own kids? How old were they when they started with you, and and what did that mean to you as a father to be able to teach them?
1: Man, my youngest is. Three and a half right now, Mm -hmm. and he wants to do everything his brother does. Uh And I think Mm -hmm. Bodie, his my oldest, started when he was five. I think it was initially they were they were just fans of eating it, and then I would be making them, and it looks fun, you know, uh, wrapping this stuff, and and so I think he just wanted to try, and then once he started doing it, my little one wanted to start doing it. My oldest is. He's, he's eccentric. He's a bit of an artist, you know? And so he wants to make his custom creations, and now the little one wants to make his custom creations. I love that. And then afterwards, we just gorge our faces on gyoza.
0: Yes.
2: <laughs> Shall we fry these up? You yes, Ooh, see let's them? fry them, yeah? yes. I want to know, have you ever had any dessert gyoza, or is that even a thing?
1: Oh, heck yeah. Oh, talk to me. I tried even, yeah. Ocklet? Is
2: of course.
1: Put chocolate in there, little like a uh, chocolate chip in there, a few chocolate chips. Mm-hmm. It'll melt in the same way while the outside's mm. crispy, kind of melts in your mouth.
0: Ooh. Yum. I imagine I would like to salt those if they had chocolate <laughs> and a little sea salt also, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, <whoa, laughs> yeah. I'm just projecting there, here. There you go.
1: By the way, I've had in Italy and also in a, uh, some really nice Italian restaurants, I've seen some funky chocolate ravioli. Ravioli is kind of the Italian version of this, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah,
2: it is. It really is. And do you fry it up or do you steam these guys? What do you prefer?
1: My kids prefer fried. I like them either way. Mm. It's healthier if it's steamed, but you know, I'm using extra virgin olive oil. It gives it a different kind of flavor. Mm -hmm. But you can use a more neutral oil like grapeseed oil. You could even use coconut oil. This is just what we have here right now, and So you heat up the pan.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a cast iron skillet. It's a
1: cast iron, but it could be a nonstick. For beginners out there, probably uh, um, a nonstick pan is easier. Okay. You know, if you have a well-seasoned cast iron pan, it's the same. Make Mm -hmm. sure it's nice and hot. Get the oil on there. It's the temperature that's important. If it's nice and hot, it'll cook quickly. You'll get that nice crust on the bottom.
0: Yes. I like that crusty part. <laughs> I
2: have an idea for something fun here. Okay. Louis, when you start frying one of these, I want to know what the smell makes you think of. You know how smells are very powerful with our memory? Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see you know, what, what comes of uh, comes to top of mind when we're cooking these. Like some
1: sense memory.
2: Yes. Of. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> exactly. Very Strasbourg. I you might start steak. weeping and running again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, this is an effective <laughs> memory. <laughs> it so good.
1: One of my first acting classes, like, I went to conservatory, but before that, I, you know, I was a New York method actor, and one of the things we do was like, these effective memories or sense memories, and, you know, the, it's really effective, actually.
0: No, I spent 10 years at Strasbourg in New York City, oh, so there you go. I know, I'm with you. <laughs>
1: and so many of those things, right, in scene study, it's like, when you're doing kind of American realism, You have to have a kind of activity. You're just not just standing there talking. No one ever just stands there and talks to each other.
0: Yes, the daily activity. Yes. Right?
1: Exactly. You
0: know that term.
1: (laughs) Here's the thing you have to also be able to hear. Oh, the the sizzle, right? Yeah. So my pan is not quite hot enough. Is that hot enough? There we go. Can you hear the sizzle?
0: I can. There. Oh, my gosh.
1: I'm just doing a small sampling here. Oh, I already smell it. What are you thinking? Well, I just flashed so many things. The dirty co-op. <laughs> <laughs> the dirty guys. Man, that kitchen was gross. <laughs> 87th in York, the apartment I grew up on. I grew up in a, you know, rent stabilized two-bedroom apartment. I complain now that this kitchen is too small. And it's like my kitchen was half of this width right <laughs> you now. Somehow... My mother, who is an incredible cook, like she is the, just see how that's nice and brown. Oh yeah, like that?
0: That, that's my favorite part, that brown part.
1: So now you want to form that crust, and now you add just a tiny bit of water, and this steam makes it nice and soft on the top, and, oh. and on the inside, and you add that.
2: Oh yeah, I hear it, yeah. I hear the sizzling.
1: And so you turn down turn down the heat to about medium-low. When all of that evaporates, your gyoza is ready. Uh. Going back to my mother grew up in the north of Japan, in Hokkaido, where it's not really known for their cuisine, but they're known for their fresh produce. Oh. Everything like the crab, their shrimp, the vegetables. It's like kind of wild country in Japan. But she was the only one of her siblings who left Um, when she was 18, left to go to the mainland and she went to Kyoto and that's where she really learned to cook and uh, had her own little kind of, she was dabbling in acting and modeling and, and had like a little cafe and where she cooked mm. everything. And so there wasn't anything that my mom, it seemed like, couldn't cook, whether it was Chinese food, Japanese food, Korean food, uh, Italian food. Just had that palate, you know, and this kind of skills, the fundamentals.
0: Did she learn just through practice or did she actually, as she got older, um, attend a culinary institute of any kind?
1: When she married my dad, she did take some Chinese cooking classes, but I think Mm -hmm. that was the extent of it. And then later in life, I'm jumping all over the place. My mother's mother, not to get, like, too, but she, her mother died giving birth to her at the end of World War II in Japan. Like, Oh, wow. Japan was decimated. There were no, like, kind of medical supplies. She died of a simple infection. And so my mother had no no mother until she was, like, in fifth grade. They lived in, like, the wilderness in Japan. My grandfather ate very meagerly and... um, you know, no running water. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to hear these things, thinking that that's Japan. Right. And then around fifth grade, my grandmother came into the picture. My grandfather remarried. And she really passed along all sorts of things to my mother. And I think that's where, that, that's where it comes from.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: My parents later on, uh, they met in Tokyo and they immigrated to the United States. Lots of international community in New York City. But Mm -hmm. there was like a kind of small enclave Japanese community, and everyone would come to our house during the holidays. My mom was one of the few Japanese people who knew how to cook a turkey. Oh. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving (laughs) could always be at our house. But it was always a very eclectic Thanksgiving. There were a few things that we just never made. Like no one was making sweet potatoes with marshmallows on top.
0: Stuffing, probably.
1: We did make stuffing, but there was always a few Japanese dishes mixed in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So sometimes instead of stuffing we would do this thing called takikomi gohan which is like veggie rice with mushrooms and a Mm. savory broth and similar to stuffing and with the turkey
0: delicious nice
1: so as you can see just
0: uh
1: almost all the moisture has kind of evaporated at this point and this is where you bring the heat up again by the way this was my mother's cast iron
0: Oh, it was. That's amazing. Which
1: I think someone gave to her in 1973 or something like that. I love that. And they have a walk apparently that was given to her by this Chinese American woman who's so kind to our family. And I think that was also passed down to her. So that walk could be like 150 years old or something like that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's amazing.
1: So you can serve them like this. If okay. you want them extra crispy, just flip them on that side.
0: I like them extra crispy. Let's see how. Oh, that is
2: perfect. It's ready to eat.
0: That is so awesome. Oh, my
2: gosh. And I'm sorry you're just hearing this, everybody, because they look so delicious.
1: <laughs> there we go. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I wish we could do this live so you could taste
0: it. I, I'm coming over. Louis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where in L.A. are you?
0: I'm in the valley, so probably, (laughs) you know, it's all close though. So (laughs) before we do our love letter, which is how Mm -hmm. we like to end this, first of all, you're going to have to eat one of those (laughs) so I can, you know, enjoy it by proxy. But delving into the why, it seems like there's a combination of why this is so important to you, history, family, you know, can you talk a little bit about like what the whole process like brings up and means to you?
1: it's kind of a reset button for me. Mhm. Right now we're in the midst of this strike and I'm on the road a lot and kind of worried about things that aren't really that important, you know, and when I come home, um I'm just dad and it's my way of kind of showing my love and passing along a little bit of my heritage and uh a way to Kind of uh, reconnect mm-hmm. with uh, the things that matter and clear your mind a little. Yeah. So I'm gonna eat this. What do you think?
0: Please eat it for sure. But going back to the uh, Strasbourg method, it's a it's a habitual behavior. The whole process of making these, you're exactly right. It's a amazing reset for your mind.
1: And this is the best part. Mm. Hmm.
0: <laughs> oh. And with that, Mm. Louis, could you please (laughs) regale us with a love letter to Gyoza and homestyle Japanese cooking?
1: Dear Gyoza, you delectably crispy and moist and tender morsel of nutritional completeness, how I love thee. I will cherish you and pass you along to. Several generations more, hopefully, and spread the, spread the gospel of Gyozak to people far and wide. Thank you for taking me along this journey, this thousand-year-old journey. Love, Louis.
0: Love, Louis. Amazing. Amazing. Please eat another yeah, one for him. me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I am hungry now.
0: (laughs) I am jealous because he actually got to eat the gyoza, which made me very jealous. Also hungry. And I also made my Din Tai Fung reservation for tonight.
2: (laughs) Oh my gosh. So
0: it's no joke. You know, it's funny. We talked a lot about the history of gyoza and the passing down of the tradition, I guess, in a way of making the homemade food. And it just calls back again, like food is such an expression of love and of caring and of support in a community. You know, if someone's dying, mm-hmm. what do you do? You shower them with food that, you know, if someone has that, you're sitting to it. The food is very important. It's more than just these dumplings, you know, it's kind of like encapsulating Louis you know, childhood and now his role as a father and also his obligation to pass on traditional aspects of his life, even though he's raising his kids in America.
2: It was family. It was culture. It was passing on something as simple as just a bite to eat. But it just shows how, you know, there's so much deeper meaning to a lot of these things we talk about, but food especially. For example, my mom will surprise me with little chocolate or sweets every now and again. And and it's just Mm -hmm. an expression of love. You know, it's not even about the item itself, which is typically delicious. It's about the process, who you're doing it with, and just the end result of the experience. And talking to Louis today, just really drilled that home and seeing all the emotions come up as he cooked. Yeah. It just lets you know how deep this goes with him.
0: What is your gyoza? What is your food that like the family made together? (sighs)
2: Okay, so my mom was not much of a cook and my dad would do do the cooking and and a lot of it was grilling. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm a Texan. I'd go to a lot of barbecues. I remember going to fifth grade football and afterwards we'd have these huge barbecues. So I would say grilling steak.
0: Mm. It's
2: that simple, Claire. Grilling steak for me. I'm a basic Texas man.
0: And the the marination of the steak is important too. Exactly. The marination is everything. I learned that. I keep it simple. So for me, it would be when I went off to college to New York, my grandmother used to make batches of homemade chocolate chip cookies. And her cookies were like – her cookies were small, Jake. They weren't big. They weren't like the big ones you see today. They were small. They were sort of condensed. They had that pure flour taste. My grandmother – And my mom grew up in a very small town in Ohio and my dad too. So everything was, you know, very farm Uh esh. And these chocolate chip cookies would come like once a month and oh my gosh, they were so good. And it just, it makes me happy. You know, I have the same name as my grandmother. She was Clara Elizabeth and I'm Claire Elizabeth. We had a very special bond. Oh, do you have the recipe? There is no recipe. (gasps) Wow. Yeah. So I can totally relate to everything that Louis, you know, was talking about and going through when he was, like, creating this gyoza for us.
2: It's all about feel and touch. And you get it through experience being in a disgusting vegetarian co-op and having to cook for (laughs) 15 people.
0: I'm just impressed with the $200 a month, like, all in. Is
2: is that still available?
0: (laughs) I really enjoy cooking, and I I find it very creative. I don't often use recipes. I mean, if I'm baking, obviously I'm using a recipe. I'm not gifted in the baking arena. Oh, that's a different game. But like, I I like to think of cooking as like assembling ingredients. It doesn't have to be measured. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's done to the flavor, you know, yeah. that you choose. So it's I, jazz. You're playing jazz with your food. It's jazz. You know? I love it. I love it. <laughs> By the way, we've done a jazz episode. Leonard Malton, he loves jazz. So if you want to listen to that, head on over to WeAreFanatics.com or at WeAreFanatics on Twitter. Sharing is caring. Let a friend know. And, uh, you know, if you want to try making your own gyoza, I'm sure you could tweet us and tweet Louie and let us know. Let us know how it goes. What's your recipe? What's your secret sauce or your secret ingredient? Yeah,
2: hit us up. See y'all very soon. Bye.
0: And coming up next week on Fanatics, one of my favorite actors, Kevin Pollock. Yes, he is the host of My Mrs. Maisel pod. And of course, he plays Moshe Maisel on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's a tongue twister. I know and love him from Usual Suspects. Of course, A Few Good Men, The Whole Ten Yards, a bunch of stuff. And he is coming on to talk about his love of something very special and secret. So you will have to tune in next week to see. See you guys then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Fanatics, a Roddenberry podcast. For more episodes and info, head over to wearefanatics.com or tweet your Fanatics thoughts and stories at wearefanatics. Yes, that's we are F-A-N-A-D-D-I-C-T-S. Our show is hosted by Claire Kramer and me, David Magadoff. Produced by me, Claire Kramer, and Kelsey Goldberg. Executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham. And you can thank Stephen Mudd for our theme song. Catch us next Thursday for another Fanatics episode.
2: Enhance your listening experience with Wondry Plus. Enjoy ad free listening, exclusive content, binges, and more. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts.